We're going to ask you to take your Bibles this morning, turn to the book of Daniel chapter 3, Daniel chapter 3 for our scripture reading. Today's reading is taken from Daniel chapter 3, beginning to read at verse 13. Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king, and Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I have set up? Now when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipes, and all kinds of music, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it, and he will rescue us from your hand, O king. But even if he does not, we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods of worship or worship the image of gold you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and his attitude towards them changed. He ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual and commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So these men, wearing their robes, trousers, turbans, and other clothes, were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. The king's command was so urgent and the furnace so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leapt to his feet in amazement and asked his advisers, weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? They replied, certainly, O king. He said, look. I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire, and the satraps, prefects, governors, and royal advisors crowded around them. They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was, nor was a hair of their head singed. Their robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire on them. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut into pieces and their houses be turned into piles of rubble, for no other God can save in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. Let's pray this morning. Our gracious Lord and Savior, Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the word of God that is powerful. 
Lord, we thank you for this story that we've heard read this morning and for these three young Hebrew boys who stood for you, Lord, even in the face of death. Lord, I pray this morning as we consider this story and we consider, Father, finishing up our series on surviving and thriving in today's culture, that, Lord, we will walk away today encouraged, but we will walk away today, Father, going out into a world that is somewhat now against Christians. Lord, I pray that we this morning would dedicate ourselves to go out into a culture and, Lord, stand firm for what we believe. Lord, stand firm on the Word of God. Father, speak to us this morning through your Word. It's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen. Today we finish up our series that we've been in for this month. And uh, about a year ago this time, the city of Houston was in turmoil. The pastors had, uh, they had, the city had passed a new ordinance, and that ordinance was an equal rights ordinance, which uh, basically said if you spoke against the LGBT community uh, in your messages that you could be locked up. And so uh, there were quite a few pastors who stood up and said that they were still going to preach the Word of God. In fact, on one Sunday, they decided that they would preach uh, in each of their churches what the Word of God said. Uh, the mayor of the city of Houston uh, heard about this and heard what they preached and uh, sent them a letter asking for the text of their sermons to be sent to her office uh, for them to consider maybe prosecuting these pastors. Well, certainly that news uh, not only went all over Houston, but went all over America. Uh, uh, Her office was inundated with emails and letters, and the city council was. And uh, about a week later, uh, they decided it wasn't such a good idea, and they uh, told the pastors they didn't have to submit their sermons uh, for her approval. Now, that's just one incident of what's going on in our society. The recent decision through the Obamacare Act um, and to uh, ask Catholic hospitals and schools to pay for contraceptives, sterilization, and the morning after pill is simply the most current case in point for where our culture is heading and how it's beginning to affect individuals. Um, also, the, um, the, develop, uh, the developing fear in the government will make people choose between obeying the laws and following their faith. Just recently, um, with the LGBT community, uh, the Catholic Charities in Illinois shut down its adoption services uh, rather than place children with same-sex couples. They decided they were going to go against uh, what the government said, and so they just weren't going to go, but they shut down because of that. Um, of course, we talked a little about this earlier. There's a concern that eventually down the road, the church uh, could lose its tax-exempt status for what we stand and preach when we preach the Word of God. Just learned this week of uh, a government-sanctioned course that is now being taught in the state of California to 7th graders. And it's a um, course of Islam, and uh, it's taught for three weeks in some of the schools there in California. And uh, they they teach the kids to dress up like Muslims. They tell the kids they're to take Muslim names for three weeks. 
Uh, they actually teach the kids the Muslim prayer of salvation to Allah. They're taught to memorize portions of the Quran, and uh, they, tell, they tell the kids that jihad is a good word. And so this is what's going on in our public school system, at least in California. Um, I got on Snoops to check that out to make sure that was true. It was. I, I listened to a lady this week uh, um, at a conference down in um, Nashville sharing this. And she is a Muslim herself, and she is sharing how just like Hitler got the youth that the Muslims are trying to get our youth. And they've already penetrated our universities, and now they're trying to um, penetrate our public school systems. And so, uh, again, we're moving quickly in a very dangerous direction. And uh, we need to take a stand. When is it right for us to stand up and say, we're not going to allow this? I know you have your finger, you have your Bibles open to Daniel, but turn just for a minute to the book of Romans chapter 13. And the next week we'll be returning back to our study in the book of Romans. Uh, we'll be in Romans chapter 12. Maybe you want to read that this week and uh, just be looking at the first three verses next week. But let me just read to you from Romans chapter 13 what Paul says about obeying the government. Now we realize that Paul is dealing with the Roman government. And uh, when he writes these, he says, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there's no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on wrongdoers. Therefore, one must be subject not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes, for the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. Now here, Paul lays out for us in Romans that we need to what? We need to respect our government. We need to live under our government. I don't care if it's a Republican. I don't care if it's a Democrat. I don't care if it's an independent who's in the White House. We are told that we are to respect them. We are to honor them because of the position that they have. Whether you agree with them or not, we need to respect them. Later in the New Testament, we're told that we're to pray for those who are in authority. And sometimes we're good at criticizing, but we're not really good at praying like God has commanded us to do. And so whether we agree with what's going on in our government, and our culture, I think we as Christians need to spend a lot more time of praying for our government than we do criticizing them. Now, I, I know that we can criticize. That comes real easy. But how much do we pray for our president? How much do we pray for the governor of Pennsylvania? Governor Wolf, how, how often do you call his name in prayer and ask for wisdom? And you say, but I'm Republican and he's a Democrat. The Bible doesn't say it makes any difference. The Bible says that we are commanded to pray for our leaders. 
And so, church, I want to encourage us. I want to encourage us to pray every day for the leaders that God has put there. This scripture tells us that there is nobody in authority unless God allows them. Unless God allows them to be there. You know what? Listen. God put them there for a purpose. All the way through scripture, we see that played out. Even with Nebuchadnezzar, where we are in the book of Daniel, we see that played out. And so when it comes to thinking about our government, we are encouraged to pray for them. We are encouraged to obey. We are encouraged to pay our taxes. No matter whether you agree with where your tax dollars go or not, we are what? We're told to pay for them. The same thing Paul didn't agree with the Roman government. The Roman government was persecuting Christians. And yet, what does Paul say? Pay your taxes. I have a sermon that I preach sometimes around April 14th that says, April 14th is a happy day. You say, well, that's crazy. Or is it April 15th? 15th, I'm sorry, I was a day off there. I pay my taxes early, the 14th. So... (laughs) April 15th is a happy day. Why? Because I get to obey the government. I get to obey what I'm supposed to do. I get to pay my taxes. And God's commanded us to do that. So when do we obey the government? All the time until it comes to the point when they ask us to do something that is contrary to what? To the word of God. When they ask, us me, when they ask you, when they ask me to do something contrary to the word of God, then I need to take a stand. So I think it's great that this last message, we find ourselves here in Daniel chapter 3, this portion that Victoria read through us this morning, where Nebuchadnezzar the king has placed this 90-foot statue out in the middle of the desert. He says when you hear the band, when you hear the orchestra play, no matter where you are, no matter what you're doing, no matter what activity you're involved in in the middle of the day, you need to stop and you need to bow down to this golden image. Now, we're not going to get into what it means and all of those things today. You can do that on your own and study the propheticness of this chapter. But we're just simply going to look at this chapter. And uh, what did this statue really represent? What did, it, what did it really represent? Look at verse 12, if you would. It says, These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Now let me tell you that Babylon was much like India today. Babylon had all kinds of gods that they worshipped. And what this statue represented was the gods of Babylon. So what Nebuchadnezzar was saying at a certain time of the day, I want you to bow down to the gods of Babylon. I want you to bow down to this. And so this is totally contrary to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And so this brings us to our very first point this morning, is the pressure of pluralism. We live in a pluralistic society. And uh, one of the things that a pluralistic society does to Christians is it wants to privatize your faith. It wants to privatize your faith. You can read the statement, you may practice your faith in private, but in public you must practice the cultural precepts. 
See, Nebuchadnezzar had no problem at all with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego worshiping their God in their own house and their own time. But when they got in public, listen, they better worship his God. They better worship the God of that culture and the precepts of that culture. And that's pretty much where America is today. Listen, if you want to go to your church on a weekly basis and you want to worship, if you want to go someplace and uh, spend time there having a prayer time or having a Bible study, that's fine. But our culture says, listen, when you get into your workplace, when you get out into the world, you better accept pluralism. You better accept the fact that there are many gods and no god is more important than any other god. That's where our society is today and that's what our society pressures people to do. And it pressures Christians to do that. So that statement that's made, you ought to underline it in the Bible there in in that verse in chapter 12. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image. That was the problem. Now listen, I see this happening all over the place, this pressure for us to conform, where Christians are forced to assimilate themselves into public culture by privatizing our faith. I'll give you a couple examples this morning, and uh, I've shared this one with you before, but it's one of the greatest ones. Uh, One of my elders from... uh, in, in New Jersey, Al Fitzpatrick was the, one of the vice pre, uh, presidents of a department of Subaru. And uh, his department was struggling a little bit. And so the president of Subaru came to him and basically said to Al, Listen, Al, here's what I need you to do. I need you to fudge these reports. And here's basically what I need you to say. And uh, so when he came to that, Al simply said, You know, in all due respect, sir, I, I can't do that. And he said, I'm a Christian. This is exactly what Al said, his, the president of Subaru said to him. He said, I respect the fact that you're a Christian. I respect the fact, everybody knows that at lunchtime, you go out to your car and you read scripture and you pray. We all know that you do that, Al. But the, the thing is, what you do in your car is, what, is much different of what you do in this office. So you need... You need, Al, you need to fudge these reports. Here's what you need to put on the reports. I'll give you the weekend to think about it. Al said, I really don't need the weekend to think about it. I can make the decision right now. He says, no, you take the weekend. He said, it's not going to change. He says, well, I hope it'll change. So Al went home. He shared with his family. He told the rest of us elders what, what he was going to do. He asked us to pray for him. He walked into Subaru uh, there in Cherry Hill, New Jersey the next day. And uh, the president of that particular part of Subaru was there and said, have you made a decision? He said, yes, I will serve my God, Jesus Christ, and not you. And so he said, you're fired. Give me your keys to the building. Give me your keys to your Subaru that you drive here. And uh, Take your stuff, and you're gone. And Al said he had a box waiting for him. He got to put his personal things in the box, and a policeman was there to escort Al, Al, Al of Subaru. Now, it took him three, three years in the economy at that time to find a new job. He ended up moving his ha- family to Houston, Texas. And uh, God blessed Al because of that. 
But they're, they're what? They wanted him to privatize his faith. It was okay. He could have that faith all he wanted out in the parking lot and reading his Bible and praying. But when I got into the building, you better tow the company line. You better go with culture. It's interesting. Not long ago, Oxford University did a study called Premarital Sex in America. And they studied young men ages 18 to 24. All of these men were college educated or in college or had graduated and uh, they were unmarried. And uh, the only difference in these, there were two groups. The only difference is the one group of college educated men, 18 to 24, unmarried. These men grew up in homes and in a community where sex was no problem. You could have sex anytime you wanted, with anybody you wanted. It wasn't a big deal. You were free to do what you wanted. The other group that they studied were young men who were brought up in churches, in what we might call Christian communities, and who were taught from a young age that the Bible teaches any type of sex outside of marriage is a sin. And so in this study, Oxford University found out this, that the first group, the first group of men, only 23% were virgins. Of the second group who were brought up in supposedly Christian homes, only 28% were virgins. The difference between the two groups is negligible, isn't it? Not, not hardly any difference what. So whatsoever. So see what happened was these young men, even though they were taught this, even though they they were they knew it was wrong. Yet when the pressures of society were pressed upon them, when the pressures of the culture were pressed upon them, they privatized their faith and they lived out something totally different in the culture in which they live. Every pluralistic culture puts pressure on people to privatize their faith and to assimilate themselves into the culture. See, these three Hebrew boys, they weren't going to do that. And here's the reality of it. Listen to me. I don't care what kind of work you do. I don't care where you are. When you get dressed on a Monday morning and you go out into the culture of this world, this culture really wants you to privatize your faith and bow to the gods of our culture. the sad thing is, sometimes we do that. And and again, let me just remind you this morning, just a little quick history of where we've come in this story back from week one when we talked about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These guys who were were as, as young men, young teenagers, they were captured and from their own home in Jerusalem and they were brought to Babylon and they were taught the ways of, of Babylon, Babylonian culture and they were given an education, their names were changed and they, in a sense, it would have been easy for them to blend in and do everything. In fact, Jeremiah, let me read to you a verse from Jeremiah that Jeremiah sends a letter to these guys and to the others who have been captured in this ba- by Babylon and brought to Babylon. In Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 7, here's the letter, here's what, just an excerpt of the letter of what Jeremiah says. But seek the welfare of the city where I sent you in exile, and I pray to the Lord on its behalf. 
for in its welfare you will find your welfare. It's interesting. What did Jeremiah say? Listen, guys, when you get there, don't, you know, don't go against the culture. Just don't stand up. He said, listen, there are things that you can blend in and you can help in the city. And you can, and if, they, if you happen to get into a position, do well. And that's what Jeremiah told him. That's exactly what Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. There were certain things that they what? There were certain things that they, in a sense, blended into the culture. There were certain things that they, in a sense, they worked hard. And because they worked hard, they were respected. And they were given positions of leadership. And so they did that. There's nothing wrong with going out into our culture and working hard. There's nothing wrong with getting up tomorrow morning and going to your job and doing the best that you can possibly do on your job. But then there's the aspect of when you're asked to do things that are contrary to your faith and they encourage you to privatize your faith. It's okay that you went to church yesterday, but here, this is what we want you to do. This is how we want you to act. These are the things that we want you to listen to. These are the things that we want you to be exposed to. There comes a point like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego where we need to stand up and we need to say, I will not do that. I will not privatize my faith. Let me just say to you this morning, church, if you don't have people disagreeing with you, if you don't have people maybe, you know, making fun of you or getting upset about your convictions that you've shared in grace and truth, like we talked about last week, to share them in grace and truth, maybe this morning you've privatized your faith. It's hard to be in this culture and not have people disagree with you. It's hard to be in this culture and not have people who don't like what you stand for. And so if maybe the reality of this morning, you've privatized your faith. If you're not getting some pushback and some feedback and some people who disagree with you. I didn't go to a Christian school. I went to a public high school. I went to public education all the way through. And uh, I had a youth pastor who constantly challenged us to be a witness in the public school system. Gary Favor was his name. And, and I'll always remember, remember Gary. He drove a red Mustang, 68 red Mustang. It was a cool car. That's why I liked him as my youth pastor. Got to ride in his red, red Mustang. And I remember riding in his red Mustang one day with my Bible in my lap. We were heading to some place, and he said, Dick, have you ever carried your Bible to school? And I said, no, why would I? And he said, because it's a great testimony. And so I, I, I carried my Bible to school that, that week, and I remember him saying, how'd it go? I said, it went pretty good. He said, did anybody say anything to you? And I said, no, nobody did. And he said, did, did you carry it? And I said, yeah. And I said, I carried it to school and put it in my locker. He said, no, 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 come on. You knew what I meant. So the next week I carried it and I put it on, you know, you used to carry a bunch of books with you when I was in school. We didn't have backpacks or anything. You'd go to your locker and put your books that you had for the morning classes. And so I carried my Bible on the very bottom. As soon as I got to my class, I threw my Bible under my desk, you know, under like you used to do. And I remember Gary saying, how did it go this week? I said, real good. I carried my Bible to class. And he said, well, that's good. Anybody say anything? I said, no. He said, did you keep it out the whole time? And I said, no, I put it underneath. He said, come on, be a man. 
So he said to me, be a man. So that week I carried my Bible with me. And uh, that week two or three students noted my Bible and they began to call me Christian and preacher boy. Hey, preacher boy. Hey, preacher boy. And that was okay. That was okay. I shared my faith. Got made fun of. When I joined the wrestling team, um, I had a coach that was ungodly. He was our driver's ed teacher, and he took me out driving one day, and he said, hey, why, why do you carry your Bible? I said, because I believe in the God of the Bible. And he said, do you pray? And I said, well, yeah, I pray. He said, would you pray for our wrestling team at each match? And this guy is lost. I said, sure, I'll pray for our wrestling team. We went on to be 12-0 and 0 that year. Now, I don't think it was the prayer. That's what the coach says. But the reality of it is I had opportunities to stand for Christ in my public high school. Why? Because I wasn't going to private. I had a pastor who said, don't privatize your faith. And see, that's what we need to do, church. We need to stand. We can complain all we want about the culture and the direction but it needs Christians who will face it head on and not privatize our faith. The second point this morning is simply this. The precision of truth or the precision of true faith. Look at verses 17 and 18 that was read for us this morning. Let me read them again. It says, verse 17, If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your God or worship the golden image that you have set up. There are two great declarations in this portion of scripture. Don't miss them. In fact, you should underline them. So, so he says, listen, he says here, king, we will not serve. He says, we will not serve your God. He said, we believe, number one is, we believe our God will save. God will save us. We believe that. And, and, and I think they knew that maybe they would die in that fiery furnace, but yet God would still save them. We'll talk about that in a minute. And the second thing is this, we will not bow down. We're not going to bow down. Just right up front, we're telling you, listen, we won't bow down to your God no matter what. If he saves us, we're not going to bow down to your God. If he doesn't save us, we're still not going to bow down to your God. And basically, what they're saying here is we love and serve God for who he is, not for what he can do for us. Even if God doesn't save us, that's not going to make us bow down to your God, King, because we love our God, and we serve him not for what we can get. We serve him for who he is. And this is such an important precision of truth. Because there's a lot of times, listen, I think we serve God for what we can get instead of the fact that he loves us and that he, that he sent his son to die on the cross for our sin. I've heard people say, I love God, I serve God, I trust in God. Then I prayed for something, and he didn't do what I asked him to do. He didn't come through when I asked him to come through. And so what we've really done is we've tied our belief in God 
to what we think He should do for us. And if He doesn't do it, then what? Then, then we get irritated at God. And what these Hebrew boys were saying, listen, the precision of faith is this, is that I am going to serve God no matter what. I'm going to serve God no matter what He does for me. And the fact of, listen, listen to me this morning, church. If the only thing that God ever did to you was save you and take you to heaven, that in itself is enough. The fact of grace itself is enough. There are people who are serving God all around the world today. They don't have very much. In fact, they're being persecuted for their faith, and yet they love God not because He does something for them. They love God for who He is. In the culture of American Christianity, I'm afraid that we love God for what He does for us instead of simply who He is. And sometimes... It's trust God plus. I'll trust God if he does. Instead of just trusting God for who he is. You know, sometimes, and I tell people this in in counseling all the time. Instead of reading the Bible for what I can get, why don't you just read the Bible to see who God is? It'll revolutionize your Bible reading. I challenge you to read the book of Psalms, not to see for what you can get, but just to write down everything you learn about God from the book of Psalms. You'll be amazed. But often we go to the Bible for what we can get instead of for seeing who God is. And just when you go to read God's Word to see who God is and to see how awesome He is and what a wonderful God He is, it tends to change your life. See, to these guys it wasn't about God saving them. To them it was about who God was and what He had done for them. Precise faith. share the statement with you. I think it's in your notes. God can always rescue from death, but as a believer, he will always rescue through death. God, he can rescue you from death if he decides to. That's what he decided to do with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But listen, as I've told you, this story is an anomaly. That's not the way that God works very often. Most of the time, he doesn't work like that. It's an anomaly here. But here's the good news. Here's the good news. He always rescues through death. I don't know about you, but my greatest struggle in life is with my own flesh. And someday, I'm going to die. Someday, I might be in the front of this auditorium laying in a casket. You're going to come by and say nice things, hopefully. You might come by and say, boy, I'm glad he's gone. We can finally get somebody else. I don't know what you're going to say. I really, want, I, I really like my coffin to be propped up in the corner so I can see you, you know. <laughs> but however it works, listen to me this morning. Listen to me. Here's the reality of it. Is this. Is when I die, I'm going to be rescued. I'm going to be rescued once and forever from sin. I have more trouble with myself than I do with the culture. My greatest struggle isn't the culture. My greatest struggle is the person who lives in the culture, Dick Vaughn. And someday, through death, I'm going to be delivered from sin. 
once and for all. I'm going to experience freedom. I'm going to experience liberation. I'm going to experience joy like I've never experienced before. And this might sound morbid, but I look forward to it. I do. Man, I look forward to heaven. I look forward to it. That's precise faith. We need precise faith. Not God plus this or that. God, I'll trust you, you know, I'll trust you when my agenda is met. Simply, you know, Lord, I'm, I'm going to trust you. I'm not going to trust the Republican Party. I'm not going to trust the Supreme Court. I'm not going to trust the president. I'm, I'm not going to tr- look to all those things. My trust is in God and in God alone and not for what he can do for me, but what he's done for me and for who he is. I love him no matter what. Precise faith. As our culture spirals downward, we need Christians with precise faith. Precise faith. It's not, oh my, it's, oh my God, you're at work. I might not understand it, but you're at work, God, and you're doing something. And then last this morning, just for a few minutes, and we talked about this a little bit a couple weeks ago, but the promise of suffering. Listen, these Hebrew boys... They were ready to suffer. They were ready to go through this. If we decide to stand against our culture, if we decide to stand against our government, when it says that you have to do something that's contrary to God's word, there's a distinct possibility that we're going to suffer. In our text this morning, Nebuchadnezzar, you know, look at verse 19. It says, Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury. He was angry. He was angry. So what did he do? He made that furnace hotter than it would ever be. In verse 22, it says the guards who took Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to throw him in the furnace, that they were killed themselves. They were burnt. But then you'll notice Nebuchadnezzar saw something he couldn't believe. He said, hey, how many, how many people did we throw into the furnace? He said, I thought we put three, but look, there are four in there. And they are no longer bound. We put them in bound. And in the Bible, furnace and fires always represent their metaphors in the Bible for trials and troubles, for trials and tribulation. And uh, so three things as we close this morning about suffering, because I believe in our society, if our culture continues to move the way it is, that there's a pretty good chance that some way, somewhere down the road, maybe not me, but maybe my grandkids are going to suffer. And so, three things this morning. First, suffering is inevitable. Job 5, 7. Man is born to trouble as sure as the sparks fly upward. First Peter 4, 12. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trials when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange is happening. I said it a few weeks ago, but I'll say it again. Americans aren't real good at suffering. I'm living a godly life. I'm, I'm living good. I shouldn't have to suffer. But you are going to suffer if you stand against the Bible. If you privatize your faith, you won't have to suffer. See, but we're going to suffer. The Bible talks about what Jesus suffering and if Jesus who was pure and without sin suffered why would we not suffer number two simply this fire relates to your character like fire relates 
to gold. Listen, 1 Peter 1, 7. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes though it's tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor to the revelation of Jesus Christ. He said, listen, as your Christian life, testing is good for you because it brings out the character. It's the refining fires that God allows us to go through, those difficult tests and tribulations. It makes our character pure. Suffering helps you to know who you really are. Suffering, it it helps you to have a profound trust in God. It helps you to be wise in life. It makes you sympathetic to other people. Suffering relates to our character like fire to gold. It purifies us. And then lastly, simply this, if you trust in God, he will walk with you in the furnace. Isaiah 4.3, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they will not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. I love this because I really believe, look, look, in verse, look down at verse 25. Listen to what Nebuchadnezzar says. But I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like what? The sons of gods. It's the word in the Hebrew, Elohim. Elohim. In the beginning, God. In the beginning, Elohim created. And so it's the same word. I think this is a theophany. It's an Old Testament appearance of Jesus walking in the midst of the fire with these three Hebrew guys. And listen, Jesus is always going to be there to walk with us. And this statement is so important. You will sense Jesus walking with you to the degree you remember Jesus went through a huge furnace for you. Think back to that last night, that last night before Christ's death, when he's in the garden, he's praying, he's saying, Father, if there be any other way, then let this cup pass from me. If there's any other way to bring sinful man back into a relationship with us, then let's do it. I'm not sure. This is going to be a horrible furnace to walk through tomorrow. I'm going to be beaten beyond human recognition. Recognition. I'm going to have the sins of the world placed on me. We're going to be separated, God. Please, if there's any other way. He's struggling with his flesh at that moment, but he walked through the furnace for you. And if we as Christians, we say it all the time, we need to live gospel-centered lives. Ryan talked about that in that song, gospel-centered lives, lives that always go back and focus on the gospel. The gospel is not just for salvation. The gospel is all of life. And so when I'm going through trials and tribulation, when I keep my focus on Jesus who went through a big furnace for me, the furnace of, of death on the cross for my sin, when I focus on that and remember that, that's going to help me through the difficult times. Gospel focused. In closing this morning, simply this. Sometimes our stands won't change a thing. Listen to me this morning. Sometimes we're going to stand and things are going to continue to go downward. Look at verse 28. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed 
be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his angels and delivered his servants. Even though it was a miracle, even though that God, God appeared, I don't think at this point, because we're, we're not going to get there, but if you'll read chapters 4 and 5, you'll see it happen. I don't think Nebuchadnezzar's heart was changed. Even though he told people to, to worship their God, it didn't change his personal heart. And sometimes we take a stand, and God can even do miraculous things, and it doesn't change people like we wish it would, or like we hope it would. He says, the God, he didn't say my God, now he says the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. This miracle didn't change his heart or the nation. You know why I know it didn't change the nation? Because two chapters later, they're going to be taken over by the, the um, a different country. The Medes and the Persians are going to come and take them. And we find that in chapter 6. But it really didn't change Babylon. You would think a miracle in your midst would be like that. And so I don't care who's the president, I don't care what miracles happen, sometimes it doesn't change a thing. But here's the thing, your walk with God will be stronger than ever. Here's my takeaways this morning. Have you privatized your faith? As you go out and you're in the world, Listen, when you're taking stands for what the Word of God teaches, when you're taking stands for what the Word of God teaches, you're going to get feedback. You're going to get people who aren't going to like it. You're, you're going to hear from people who don't agree with you. And if you're not experiencing that, maybe you've privatized your faith. Secondly, this morning, simply this. Are you following God for who he is or what he gives. Why are you serving him today? Is it because of what you get from him? Hey, if, if tomorrow the government took away our tax status, would you still tithe because you lose that deduction? Would you? Are you following God? If tomorrow you lost your house, if tomorrow our country was overtaken by another country, another nation, would you still serve God? Or would you say, God, why, why did you do this to us? I don't even know if I want to serve you anymore. And are you willing to suffer for your faith? Those are three pretty tough questions. But if our culture continues to go the way it is, for us to survive and thrive in this culture, we're going to have to be Christians who don't privatize. We're going to have to be Christians who stand up publicly for what we believe. We're going to have to be Christians who follow God, not for what he does, but because who he is. Because it might be God's purpose for us to go through suffering like many of our brothers and sisters do around the world, for standing for their faith? And then are you willing to suffer for your faith? I'm going to ask you to stand this morning. And I'm going to ask us to do something that we don't usually do here. 
I'm going to ask you to do one of two things, and if, if the Spirit doesn't lead you to do this, that's fine. But I'm going to ask you this morning to think about these three questions. Have you privatized your faith? Are you willing to follow God for who He is or for what He gives? And are you willing to suffer? Think about those questions. And if God is speaking to your heart about one of those, I'm going to ask you to do one of two things this morning. Before the band comes back and plays and we sing, I'm going to ask you to do one of two things. I'm going to ask you to get out of your seat and come down here and pray or just turn around and get on your knees and pray and say, God, help me not to privatize my faith. God, help me and this culture to stand strong for you even when those around me are making fun or calling me down, help me to stand strong for you, not for what you can do. And God, even if it means that I'm made fun of, even if it means if I go through suffering, I'm willing to do it, not because of what you've done, but because of who you are. I like every head bowed and every eye closed. And this morning, church, I'm calling this to prayer. And so you do as the Spirit of God leads you. If it's just to stand there and pray, if it's to come down here and get on your knees and pray, then do that. If it's to get on your knees there in your chair, but we're going to take two or three minutes this morning, four minutes, and we're just going to go before God. In silence, let's do as the Holy Spirit encourages us. You know, I love the story that we preached this morning. And here's the thing that excites me about that story and excites me as you leave. I want, to, I want to remind you of this. We don't walk out of these doors alone. First of all, we walk out of these doors with God, the fourth person who was in that fiery furnace. But there were three others. There were three Hebrew boys together. And you know what? We need to leave here encouraged because we're not fighting this battle alone. We're fighting it with Jesus. Come here, Phil. Come here. I'll take my hand, bud. We're fighting it together. We need each other, church. Jesus preached about unity. We need a church that moves forward in unity together against a culture that is contrary to us. The good news is we're not doing it alone. We have Jesus, but we have each other. Take somebody's hand, shake it, and say, I love you, brother, and I'm glad to serve with you. Have a great week.